Well, good morning. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free. Just want to say to those of you in the auditorium here, those of you watching in the venue and those watching online, welcome. We're thankful that you decided to take some time to join us this morning. So as we're going through the minor prophets, recognize that for most of the minor prophets, the point of them is the message itself, the prophecy itself. But in, with the book of Jonah that we're studying this morning, it has far less to do with his message and far more to do with his journey as a prophet. And uh, even more so, it has to do with God's patience with his people and God's compassion for the nations. As the outreach pastor here at Carney E. Free, it is a burden I gladly bear to help us all grow in fulfilling the Great Commission as a church. But there is a fine line to toe for me as the pastor. On the one hand, I, I wanna stress the urgency of us being obedient to the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. On the other hand, I really wanna to strive to nurture a sense of compassion as the primary motivation for our obedience. Because let's face it, we all know that obedience can be quickly had through guilt and shame, can't it? But that's not what God wants. God wants for us to nurture a heart of compassion so that the reason that we're obedient is a proper reason, a godly reason, a good reason, a lasting reason. So we're going to look at uh, how God in the book of Jonah walks that fine line with the prophet Jonah. So we're gonna take two quick passes through Jonah. One, we're gonna look at God's patience with his people. And the other one, we're gonna take a look at uh, his compassion for the nations. Now, one of the main reasons that people will hesitate in taking the book of Jonah literally is the sheer number and magnitude of the miracles in Jonah. We think, how could it possibly be that a, a fish could swallow a man whole and that he could live three days inside of it? Okay, so here's the challenge. Newsflash, right? God created everything out of nothing. <laughs> if he can do that, he certainly can have a fish swallow a man whole and let him live three days inside its belly, okay? To us, miracles are a big deal. Not so much to God. I kind of liken it to a computer program. You know, if computer programs were alive, can you imagine what that program would think every time the programmer sits down and merges a new line of code into that program? Wow, where did that come from? That's new. That was a miracle. That is incredible. Now, move back to the coder who's sitting in his computer chair and going like this. To him, it's just another day at the office. 
You know, for us, miracles are huge. For God, it's just another day at the office. Do you realize that every moment, every singular moment of the existence of the universe is a miracle? Scripture says that all things are held together in Christ. Everything is being held together. What if for a single solitary moment he said, nah, I don't think I'd want to see what would happen. You see, to God, miracles are commonplace. Besides, people don't seem to bat an eye at Jesus' greatest miracle in my mind, which was having 12 friends at the age of 30. That's a pretty big deal. Okay, so let's lay our concern for the miracles in Jonah to rest already. And let's move on to setting the stage for the book. Israel was fearful and not aligned with God's heart for the people and nations of the world. In 2 Kings 14, Jonah actually makes a prophecy to King Jeroboam too. And he prophesies that Israel, the northern kingdom, will expand its territory once again to include all of the territory that was under King David's rule. And that prophecy comes true. And so now Israel is really at the top of the world, right? It's enjoying the blessings of God that it once had in terms of its power in the nations. And so it's, it's enjoying that. If it weren't for that blasted Assyrian empire that threatens to topple them, and especially that great city of Nineveh full of all of its heathens. Israel was fearful of them, fearful of losing their place in the world. You know, like Israel, we as God's people can become fearful of those different from us. People other, whether that be that... uh, that crazy neighbor that seems to have no problem letting their dog do its business in our yard and then just leave it there, or perhaps the coworker that uh, has that obnoxious personality, that would be me, by the way, that makes you want to run, not walk, toward the nearest exit, or perhaps it's even that author of that editorial that literally calls for the destruction of virtually everything I believe in. It's not hard to understand why our fear of their impact leads us sometimes to resent them, be angry with them, maybe even hate them. And we find ourselves at times clutching this heartfelt animosity toward people different from us, even though we know it is against the very heart of God. In fact, there are sometimes we even secretly rejoice when people like that go through bad times. Jonah was like that. He resisted aligning with the heart of God. In Jonah 1, 1 through 3, if you've got your Bibles, open them up. The word of the Lord 
came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish on a cargo ship. In fact, literally, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. And then it says, Jonah arose and fled for Tarshish. <laughs> you know, he arose all right. And he went, he just decided to go in the opposite direction. Because in reality, Tarshish was literally at the opposite end of the known world from Nineveh. He wanted to get as far away from them as he possibly could. You know, sometimes we find ourselves going just the opposite direction God wants us to go. But as his people, I'm so thankful that God patiently appoints opportunities for us to move closer in alignment with his heart. See, God provided multiple opportunities for Jonah to move closer to his heart. He flees and gets on a ship and it says God hurls a storm. Probably somewhat of his initial frustration with Jonah, like really Jonah? He hurls this storm and Jonah gets thrown overboard to die. God literally, it says, appoints a fish to swallow him. And now Jonah is very happy for this fish and he thanks God for his mercy in saving his life. Not repentance really, just happy that God saved him. God tells the fish to spit him on ground. Now Jonah is safe and sound on dry ground. God then commissions him one more time, go to Nineveh. This time Jonah goes, albeit reluctantly. See, God gave him multiple opportunities, appointed multiple opportunities for him to at least come in line with an obedient heart. But that isn't where God wanted it to stop. He wanted Jonah to learn to have a compassionate heart so that he would go for the right reasons. So Jonah went and he preached and they repented and God relented from his wrath. And Jonah gets angry, gets angry enough to die. God says, Jonah, is it, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah says nothing. So God appoints a plant to grow up over Jonah and provide him shade as he sits on the edge of the city and waits for something to happen. And Jonah becomes very glad, exceedingly happy about this plant. God then appoints a worm so that the plant withers. And then he appoints a scorching east wind so that the sun would bake down on Jonah's head again. And Jonah becomes again very angry, angry enough to die. And God once again, again asks him, Jonah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And he says, yes, this time, angry enough to die. You see, God patiently contends with our rebellion as a gracious God. What's amazing to me is that he answers Jonah's plea for mercy, but he refuses to answer his plea to die because God wants our hearts. He speaks to our hearts. 
So where is your heart today, Jonah? Is it in the right place? Is it with mine? Do we have a right to be angry with those different from us, those who threaten us? What divinely appointed opportunities have you met in your life lately? You know, maybe it's that neighbor decides to take his dog for a walk at the, vac- at the exact same time you decide to walk your dog, right? And though you'd love to exit stage left, you are forced to engage. And at that point, it is an appointed opportunity for you to come in line with God's very heart of compassion for that neighbor. It is the same loving patience that God has toward our stubborn hearts that leads him to want to be merciful to those who don't yet know him. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So just like God desires to patiently perfect our faith, he desires to author theirs. That's something we should not forget. God's heart is to be known by all people and all nations, not just us. We might think, well, you know, God, that's all fine and good, but do you consider what they're doing? The injustice that they're committing? The sin they're committing? They're going to destroy everything we believe in. You know, God sees that too. In fact, he even sees it better than we do, the unrighteousness they're committing before him. In fact, Jonah 1.2 says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Why? Because its wickedness has come up before me. With Nineveh, the wickedness had grown so great that something had to be done. Either they were going to repent and experience God's mercy or they were going to continue to rebel and experience his wrath. But God's heart is one of compassion for them. Ezekiel 18.23 says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? And sometimes I ask myself, do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? Do I take pleasure when bad things happen to them? Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they, the Ninevites, did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. In Jonah 4.11, he tells Jonah, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? You know, God looks at the people who don't know him yet and he sees that they're sheep without a shepherd. They mix up right and wrong. They don't, they don't get it. They don't see it. And he has compassion 
for them. So much so that he's the one that prepares the way for their repentance. It's interesting that historically there is evidence that in Nineveh, prior to Jonah's going, they had experienced a plague. And then that plague was followed by a solar eclipse. And that solar eclipse was followed by another plague, all of which to the Assyrian mind would have been divine judgment impending upon them. And not only that, but there was a, a movement toward monotheism in Assyria at the time. So that when Jonah actually went to preach, they were ripe for harvest. Jonah 3, 4 says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I can't imagine he did it with a whole lot of enthusiasm. It's probably more like 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Five Hebrew words is all it took for them to repent. Five. God had prepared their hearts for this. Do you realize we just sang the song that God is always working. He's working everywhere in the world to prepare hearts to come to know him. He's working on that neighbor of ours. He's working on our coworker. He's working on the author of that editorial. God longs for their salvation, but much to God's chagrin, just like those who don't know him, our hearts as his saints often stand in opposition to his. Not in unrighteousness, but in self-righteousness. That was Jonah. Jonah 4, 1 through 2. After God had relented and shown mercy to the Ninevites, it says, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said? Lord, when I was still at home, that is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And I didn't want you to relent. I tried to forestall by going as far away as I could to provide time for you to lose your patience with them because they deserve it. it. Wasn't uncommon in the New Testament either. In Luke 9, 51 to 55, it says, as the time approached for him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, who were also called the sons of thunder, mind you, just picture how they would say, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Hmm. God, look what they did. If they can get away with that, what else will they do? And Jesus turned and rebuked them. In my mind, Jesus had every right to say, you know, you know what, James and John, you guys just aren't getting this. You know, 
why don't you just go on back to doing what you're doing? You're not my disciples anymore. But that's not what he did. Because his desire is to bring them in line with his heart. He rebuked them, yes, and God rebukes us when we have that same attitude toward those different from us. God wants us to embrace our mission as his appointed opportunities for others to know him too. God appointed opportunities for Jonah to come in line with his heart. He appointed a great fish. He appointed a plant. He appointed a worm. He appointed a scorching east wind, all designed to bring Jonah in line with his heart. And in that same way, God appoints us as his people to be the opportunities for the lost to come to know him. Realize that we are his plan A, there is no plan B. We're the ones he commissions to go and send as he prepares the soil and makes the harvest ready. He asks us to go send people out into those harvests, to go with gladness, with compassion, that's how, he, that's how he appointed Jonah. But he doesn't just want our obedience to his call. Jonah was obedient. He wants our hearts to be in it. Obedience without love is really just mere legalism. We're just doing it because we're told we're supposed to do it. God asks us to eagerly embrace our role and to obey his call to go make disciples of all nations in hopes that even our greatest enemies will come to know his love, his grace, his mercy, his salvation. That's why the apostle Paul urges us in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, even those who stand against us, for kings and all those in authority who are often against us, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all goodness and holiness, not apart from those kings and rulers, not apart from those enemies, but with those enemies, because he wants them. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. You know, I've, I've been asked several times, do you pray for those who are against you? Do you pray for your enemies? You know, I, I, I do. I, actually, quite regularly I do. I've never had anybody ask me, do you give thanks for them? Hmm. God, thanks for her. Thanks for knitting her so wonderfully in the womb of her mother. Thanks for giving her life. Thank you, God, for providing opportunity after opportunity for her to come to know you. Thank you for her. In Jonah 4, 5 through 11, after God relented upon Nineveh, it says, Jonah had gone out and sat down 
at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He was secretly hoping they would change their minds. <laughs> so he waited. Ah, maybe this is a flash in the pan. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so much, uh, blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. Big baby. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? Recognize that God's challenge to Jonah, he didn't condemn him for having concern for losing the plant, even to the point of death. That was not his challenge to him. You had no right to be angry. His challenge is this, Jonah... If you have the right to be so concerned about a single solitary plant that lived only a brief time that you had no part in its creation or its destruction, do I not have an even greater right to be concerned about saving a great horde of people and animals, many of whom are eternal beings that I created and I myself would have to destroy if they don't repent? Jonah, can you understand my concern? Can you sympathize with it? We each can play a vital role in being God's appointed opportunities in the lives of people. We have a young lady by the name of Candy Young who attended our church and uh, she decided to go on a short-term missions trip. And that was a, an appointed opportunity for her to draw closer to the heart of God. And unlike Jonah, she did not rebel. She submitted. She eagerly sought to grow more in line with the heart of God. And as a result, she ended up going into long-term missions. And we support her today as a long-term missionary. We have a video of her. Take a look. So one of the things that I get asked often is, how do I do what you do um, without moving from where I'm at? And um, I always tell people, I feel like God asks us to just take the next step, but not necessarily know what all of it looks like. So when I went to Columbia almost four years ago, South America, I came back and I was sitting on my couch one day and I just had this idea that popped in my head like I could do something more if you wanted me to God 
but I became really aware that I didn't know what that looked like. And so for me, I just felt like the next step was to learn what that looked like. So my next step was just researching how do I get training in missions, what does it even look like to do long-term missions, and so um, about a year later I found myself stepping into class at Missionary Training School and it was there that I learned that almost 40% of the world has never had a chance to hear about Jesus. And that number struck me so much that I thought there's no way that can be true. So I went home and researched and realized it was accurate and that's when I think I realized that the it takes every part of the local church to be part of the Great Commission. Um, and so that might look like the next step for you. It might be praying for a different country every day. It might be going to your missions pastor at your local church and asking, how can I support the missionaries that we've sent? Um, reaching out and meeting a neighbor who looks or speaks differently than you do. Um, but whatever it is that God calls you to, that nudge you feel for that next step, that's really what he asks. He asks us to be obedient to the next step. And so for my encouragement would be to people who feel like they don't know what part to play in the Great Commission, um, ask the Lord, what is that next step? And it's just that one step. And I think I've learned in the last few years that if you take that step of faith for the next step, he's faithful to give you what you need for that step in that moment and he will then show you the next step after that. And so um, you might not know what that looks like, and it doesn't mean that you have to go somewhere to serve um, in the kingdom for the Great Commission, but there is a part of the Great Commission for everyone in the church. Thank God for her. So every one of us can play a vital role in lovingly being God-appointed opportunities for the lost, for those who don't know God, to come to know him. And we don't have to go anywhere. We just have to be intentional about living our daily lives. There's another gentleman in our church that is a business owner, and he regularly hires people, not necessarily for what they can do for the job, but because he wants to hire them as a ministry opportunity. They're people that a lot of other companies wouldn't bother to hire because they bring too much baggage. Because he's experienced God's mercy in his life and he wants to be that appointed opportunity in theirs. He doesn't fear them about how, he might, how they might hurt his business or how they might hurt his reputation. He longs to minister to them with love. I want to reiterate this morning that as saints, animosity toward or even hatred of those who are other than us is born out of fear. Fear of losing what we have of God's blessings. That's why John in 1 John 4.18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We cannot simultaneously fear the one we are choosing to love. I, in, with my personality and my background and the experiences that I've had in my life, I grew to fear people. I was afraid 
that I'd be humiliated before them, that, that I would say something stupid, that they would laugh at me, they would reject me. I was afraid of what they might do to hurt me. And I used to think for years that all I needed to do, you know, perfect love casts out fear, so I just need to perfectly accept God's love for me. That's, that'll do it. God, help me to understand and accept your love for me. But that didn't change my fear. It wasn't until God told me, Charles, it doesn't stop with you. My love has to flow through you to those that you fear. And now when I walk into scenarios where I can sense the fear coming up, I just stop and say, Lord, I'm sensing some fear here right now. As I walk into wherever I'm going, God, teach me to be sensitive to your spirit. Help me to love them. They need to know your love. May they sense your love through me. Help me to know the words to speak, how to behave in their presence, that that I might express your love to them. And the amazing thing is, when you're focused on loving somebody, you just don't fear them. That's what God wants for us to embrace. In conclusion, God asked Jonah, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? How does Jonah respond to that question? We have no idea. It doesn't say. It's like having a to be continued episode, except there's no to be continued. We don't know. But it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Did Jonah, after God pressed upon this, the, his concern for the lost, speaking to Jonah's heart, did Jonah say, God, you are right. I am wrong. I repent. Forgive me for my anger, for my fear. Forgive me for my resentment. Thank you, Lord, for having mercy on all of those people in Nineveh. Thank you for showing them the love you've shown me. And now, God, to whom would you send me next? How does he respond? We don't know. The real question, however, is how will we respond Will we resist or will we embrace our calling to be the appointments in the lives of those who don't know him? God so wants us to come to experience freedom from the fear of those different from us by embracing his call to extend his love to them. You see, to God and to us, every person matters. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for Jonah. Thank you, Lord, for your patience with him. Thank you for your patience with us. Teach us, God, what it means to have a heart, a heart like yours. Rather than fearing people who are different from us, Lord, may we love them. May we choose that, that they too might come to know you. I don't know what it is that you're impressing upon each of us right here today, Lord, but I know your spirit is at work always. 
Help us to be sensitive to your spirit's prompting, convictions, leading. Lord, help us not to resist because we're afraid. Help us, Lord, to submit, to go the next step, as Candy said, to take that next step and trust whatever it might be. Give us different eyes for those different from us. We pray this in Jesus' name.